For generations, Butterball has delivered only quality American-grown turkey. They provide products that please patrons while delivering versatility to operators in all segments. But Butterball doesn't stop there. As an organization, they're always looking for ways to empower operators to be at their best. From recipes that inspire culinary creativity to insights and trends that can help drive business decisions, it's all at ButterballFoodService.com. Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nations Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision-makers. This week, I'm talking with David Portolatin. He is the Senior Vice President and Food Industry Advisor at market research firm, the NPD Group. Of course, this episode's a little different since David isn't a restaurant operator, but he is one of the smartest guys in the food service industry, and he particularly has his finger on the pulse of restaurant trends, economic conditions, and what it all means for today's restaurant professional. David joined the podcast to talk about how restaurants can win over customers, even in this inflationary environment, why age is playing a big role in consumer traffic patterns, and which headwinds and tailwinds are affecting the restaurant industry as we head into 2023. Before I jump into that conversation, remember that there are many other ways you can engage with NRN's award-winning content. And this week, I am particularly excited to emphasize award-winning. That's because NRN's podcast, Extra Serving, was just named the best B2B podcast by Folios, Eddie, and Ozzy Awards, which recognize excellence in publishing. Of course, Extra Serving is where our editors discuss the hot-button issues of the day, and we share interviews with a wide variety of restaurant personalities. If that sounds up your alley and you're a fan of award-winning content, then what are you waiting for? Go subscribe to Extra Serving wherever you get your podcasts. Jumping now into my interview with the NPD Group's Senior Vice President and Food Industry Advisor, David Portolatin. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my seven takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. All right, David. So for the last couple of years, it's been eventful, uh, to say the least. We have had a global pandemic and what everybody expected would turn into the roaring 20s actually turned into inflation, labor issues, supply chain issues, sort of one thing after another for the restaurant industry. But you and I are going to speak specifically about inflation and the economy and how that's impacting um, the the eating world, which is everybody. So let's just start with broadly inflation. How has it affected dining behaviors and specifically restaurants in the last year or so? Well, I'm glad you asked about inflation because first of all, I think there's some misconceptions out there. I think when people see the CPI data and it shows that prices are actually rising faster uh, at grocery retail than they are in restaurants, um, they tend to conclude then that uh, that makes restaurants appear more affordable and therefore you know, people are going to eat out more. But the, the reality is the cost of a restaurant meal is you know three and a half times that of sourcing that same meal or eating occasion, whether it's just a beverage, snack, whatever it is, uh, from the supermarket. So you know, even though those prices are rising a little faster right now, the greater economic pressure uh, is still really on the consumer spend outside of the home uh, uh, right now. What does that do then for 
consumer psyche. I mean, it, it, we, we've seen this happen over and over in the past with these economic trends happening as they are. What should we expect for in-home dining versus away from home dining? Well, I think that consumers definitely still value the quality, uh, the convenience uh, of being able to source foods and beverages from a restaurant. Uh, but it means that restaurant operators need to focus on you know, those reasons that would compel a consumer outside of their own kitchen. You know, those uh, craveable favorites that I can't make for myself at home. Uh, those times where we just really want to indulge in, uh, you know, our favorite, you know, burger or chicken sandwich or whatever the case may be. Um, and at a great value at the same time. So, uh, you know, we'll see a lot of emphasis on value. I think you're seeing restaurant operators uh, take a close look at that. Um, and value in the restaurant space is never really about absolute lowest price. It always uh, is heavily uh, influenced by the quality of the food or the experience. And, and since we're mentioning experience, you know, we are still uh, in an era where consumers are getting out and about more uh, in this post-pandemic period. So the consumer still is looking for those experiential occasions where uh, we can be with others, we can have a little fun. So I think that's the way restaurant operators can win right now is, is delivering on those things that, A, I really can't make for myself uh, and B, those experiences that I want to have, uh, especially engaging with others outside of the home. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that experience part of this, because obviously 2020 restaurants shut down, supermarkets suddenly become your primary way of getting food, uh, pandemic ebbs, vaccines come out, and suddenly everybody wants to go to restaurants. And so where has that shaken out now? Does it seem like there is more of a push towards supermarkets or are restaurants still kind of claiming that experience crowd? Yeah, you, look, you can't beat the uh, the restaurant experience for that, that away from home occasion. And we're seeing on-premises occasions are still growing uh, pretty significantly on a year over year basis. Now they still remain well below a 2019 level uh, but we're we're clearly seeing recovery there. So uh, the consumer certainly values that opportunity to get outside the home, to have an on-premises uh, dining experience. And again, you know, the differentiators there are the same as they've always been. You know, great service at the right price. You know, good surroundings, good environment. You know, those things that make somebody say, "Boy, that was really worth the extra spend." I can't wait to come back. This is a little bit of a wild card, so I don't know what you think about this, but um, we've seen the definition of supermarket, restaurant, everything really blending a lot, right? So you see supermarkets with fresh food service, you see restaurants with market, uh, CBG kind of products. H how can you even measure, it, it, we're putting them in two boxes, but there's not really two boxes here. So how do you measure really behavior when there are so much, there's so much gray space, I guess you could say. Yeah, we've been blurring the lines between food service and retail for a long, long time. Look, in, in the five years pre-pandemic, we noted that every single consecutive year, more restaurant meals were consumed inside the home than the year before. And so um, the pandemic really had nothing to do with that. Now, it accelerated that trend. Uh, but now that we're in recovery mode, the, the underlying structural reasons why consumers were spending more time at home and consuming more meals at home uh, even before, those are all still there. So, you know, one of the, um, you know, ground zero for that battle of what happens in the home 
uh, is sort of these gray areas in between traditional restaurant and supermarket where consumers are looking for maybe not the complete meal solution, but components of a meal solution. So maybe I'm looking for uh, the rotisserie chicken or some other prepared food uh, as the center of the plate. And then I can uh, take that home and pair it with uh, a salad or a pasta or something that I would make at home. Or, you know, maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe it's uh, those craveable rolls or my favorite sweet tea that I pick up uh, from the restaurant and come home and pair that with the at-home meal. But we're seeing that blended meal occasion uh, continue to grow. And really what it means for the, for the restaurant industry is that uh, restaurant meals consumed at home uh, will forevermore have a more important place than they did before. Uh, and whether that's for delivery or whether that's uh, for carryout, uh, I tend to think that the consumer uh, is going to place more value on my ability to pick it up because I can control the cost and the timing of that last mile of delivery rather than putting that in the hands of a third party somewhere. Um, so we think that um, you know carryout is, is going to continue to be a big deal. But restaurant operators should be thinking about what is happening inside the four walls of that consumer's home and how can I either be the meal replacement or a contributor to the meal solution? Yeah, based on the data, is the, the on-premises, is that coming back substantially now? Because we all thought during the pandemic, oh, off-premises, we're going to live in an off-premises world forever. But it seems like on-premises is back, yeah? Well, it's it's recovering. But look, um, we're still well below where we were uh in 2019 pre-pandemic. So you're seeing year over year growth in on-premises dining right now. It is nowhere near uh, back to where it was. And it's going to be a long, long time, you know, if ever, uh, when we get back there, because look, even before uh, the COVID-19 pandemic came along, it was off-premises occasions that were growing in the restaurant industry. Uh, and so we're just really returning again to that same big structural macro environment where consumers were spending more time at home. We've been talking for years now about the home centric consumer. Um, the structure of the labor force has changed. Uh, our population has aged and we just simply have more people spending more time at home. And that naturally translates into consuming more meals at home. So when that butts up against something like inflation, what does that do to people? Because naturally with inflation, people start to tighten their belts a little bit. What does the data suggest that's doing to their dining preferences? It's the data is pretty clear. When prices go up, behaviors change. And, you know, you see it in a handful of ways. Uh, you know, number one, uh, you know, some people will simply reduce the frequency of their restaurant visit. That's, you know, step one to cost saving. You know, step two is we see trading down. So, some occasions that might have gone to, say, a casual dining restaurant, uh, maybe instead go to a fast casual type restaurant or a quick service restaurant. And here recently, we've even seen some of those occasions that might go to a quick service restaurant, uh, go to some place like a convenience store uh, that has a food forward program with some fresh prepared foods, whether it's breakfast sandwiches or, or pizza or, you know, whatever the, the cuisine may be. Uh, it sells typically at a much lower price point. So we see the trading down. And then you're going to see consumers look for managing their spend in other ways. So uh, they will look for the deal. Um, they will oftentimes manage the size of the basket. So perhaps we'll forego the beverage or a side dish, um, things of that nature. 
but there's no doubt consumers are leveraging every every tool they have at their disposal to try to manage uh, these increasing costs. You mentioned this before, but I'm curious to unpack this a little bit more. This tendency to react, restaurants tend to react to that kind of behavior shift with discounts and with value, coupons, things like that. Are we seeing the same thing happen? And and what is what does the discounting and value even mean in 2022? Well, the whole idea of deals and, and discounts in the restaurant space is, is really a complex one. Number one, let's start with the fact that uh, you know deal rates have had gotten higher than it ever been before, you know, long before this inflationary environment came along. And what we had seen over time. You know, the cost increases that restaurant operators have been dealing with, um, they didn't just happen, you know, last week or last month. They've been happening for years. We've been talking about the labor market and rising labor costs and all of these things for a long time. So restaurant prices have been steadily increasing for several years now. And one of the things that has happened as a result is that the depth of deal is not nearly what it used to be. And so for many consumers, you have to ask, do they even recognize when things are on deal anymore? Do they even recognize that that combo price is uh, supposed to be a special price? Uh, They may look at it and say, no, but it costs so much more than it did before. It's really not, quote, a deal. So, you know, creating something that the consumer even recognizes as a deal, I think, is more difficult uh, than it ever has been. But, you know, I would also go back to, to the idea that once the consumer has made that decision to say, I'm going to source this eating occasion outside the home, we've already committed that it's going to be more expensive. So the things that are going to win our business then are not necessarily always uh, price and deal related. Um, they're always going to be more about the quality of the food, the experience, um, you know, those kind of things that the restaurant industry is great at. Uh, that doesn't mean that deals aren't going to be important. I think they are, especially with lower income consumers. You know, right now, uh, the lower you go from a household income perspective, the greater the erosion in customer visits. Uh, we're especially seeing that with lower income consumers with kids. So families with kids are is really where the pressure point is the highest right now. So speaking of that, um, combine that last bit you said there about um, kids with the fact that you said we have this aging population. I'm really curious as to how all of this kind of plays out generationally speaking. What do the numbers suggest about how the different generations are behaving and how much that would should impact the decisions by a restaurant operator? Generational trends can tell us so much about uh, food and beverage consumption behavior into the future. Um, The simple truth is that much of our eating uh, behaviors um, develop along a very well-established life stage curve. Um, Everybody knows in the restaurant industry, the conventional wisdom is that 18 to 34 year old consumer. And look, it's true. Um, When we're in our teens and our twenties and our thirties and really into our forties, we're increasing the number of meals that we purchase from a restaurant every single year. That's a function of life stage. Uh, We're in what I call career and family formation life stage where we're working hard. We may have kids in the house. We're as busy as we can possibly be. And there's no greater time of life when the convenience of being able to outsource meal preparation holds more value than at that life stage. So that makes perfect sense. And then as we age, our needs shift, uh, the way we allocate our time and our resources changes. And so, you know, restaurant 
behaviors actually start to decline as we get into our late 40s, 50s, and, and then the older you get. Well, right now, uh, over the next decade, we're going to see an increase of 17 million more uh, people in this country that are over age 65. Now, people over age 65 who are affluent, that might be a really good thing for the fine dining sector. But for the most part, you know, we don't go to fine dining, you know, four or five times a week. Those are sort of special event kinds of things. And for the most part, you know, people over age 65 just don't eat at restaurants as much as younger people do. So let's go back then and talk about those younger people. Well, they're the very ones right now, those families with kids who are feeling the uh, heat the most from the current uh, economic environment. So, you know, there are some aging uh, headwinds that sort of combine with um, the macroeconomic environment of the day to, to sort of multiply those headwinds a little bit. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it, it it's, might be sort of a tough uh, environment over the next, over the rest of this year and, and certainly some remaining headwinds probably into 2023. Talking about those families with young kids, I, I might be biased because I, I fit into that category. But, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself seven, eight years ago, like, what's going to happen when millennials have kids? Because we'd spend so much time talking about the importance of millennials and, and specifically with millennials. I remember a lot of the conversation was around how much of a greater share of spend like out of their budget, how much more of their budget they committed to restaurants and, and call right. it foodieism or, you know, whatever. Food became cool, popular. Millennials started spending more of their money on restaurants. Has that continued to play out in Gen Z and beyond? Should we expect food just to generally be a bigger share of the budget for younger generations? Well, here's the here's the real challenge. Um, a lot of things are a bigger share of the budget for younger generations. Uh, look, the, the restaurant industry in the 70s, 80s and 90s in this country was booming. It was, you know, customer counts were growing three to five percent every single year because you had baby boomers that were in this peak life stage that I spoke of, this career and family formation life stage where we valued being able to go out to a restaurant. The difference between millennial, Gen Z, and then the generation that comes after that is they live in a different world than the boomers did. The share of wallet that now goes to um, things that we would call committed consumption, my Netflix subscription, my cell phone plan, the data plan, um, you know, all of the other things that we have bought into before we even get to choose how we would spend some discretionary income, uh, take up a much greater share of spending for these uh, younger generations. Uh, and so uh, that's, uh, that's a big share of wallet battle that uh, the restaurant industry didn't have uh, in, in previous uh, generational groups. So speaking of generations, of course, we talk a lot these days about digital natives because Gen Z, I mean, they grew up where phones and email, all of this was just very common and very normal to them. And as such, of course, digital trends have really taken off. And, and we were talking about off-premises before. A lot of that's been fueled by digital ordering, for example. We, we know the talking point early days of the pandemic was the exponential growth in digital. Okay, so here we are, obviously, in a digital world. How much do you think digital tools are impacting all of these things we're talking about and how much do they impact that consumer uh, purchasing decision? 
Well, look, you, you mentioned the exponential growth of digital during the pandemic, but I'd like to go back just a little bit. In the five years before the pandemic, uh, restaurant orders placed digitally were growing at a compounded annual growth rate of 23% a year. It, it was the single sole source of growth uh, in, the, in the restaurant marketplace. So uh, that was all happening before the pandemic. And the very things that were causing that to happen, those haven't gone away. Those haven't changed. So you know, right now, you're not seeing year over year increases in digital because we are coming off of that uh, pandemic inflated uh, peak. But ultimately, we're going to return to a, tra a trajectory of, of growing uh, digital behavior. And look, it's not that it's necessarily incremental to demand. In other words, the, the ability to order digitally didn't make me eat one more meal than I would have otherwise, but it's how we access our meals. And by the way, it's how we access everything uh, across all of the consumer economy. And so if you look, for example, right now, and we take uh, the top 10 restaurant chains who have the highest digital penetration, all of those restaurant chains are actually growing uh, customer traffic, um, even in this difficult environment versus the rest of the industry, uh, which is not. And so there's a real performance gap. And so it, it tells me that uh, the consumer wants to engage digitally. Uh, you know, and there's, I think there's a lot of opportunity to um, take digital beyond just the transaction. It's, it's gotta be more than just placing the order or even paying for it. There's a lot of opportunity to really drive loyalty and engage consumers. And, and I think uh, you'll see the best in class restaurant operators uh, do some really uh, unique things with uh, digital. And I'd say one more thing about digital because some people tend to, in, the, in their subconscious, they tend to think digital equals delivery. It does not. More than half of the orders placed digitally, uh, the customer is coming to pick up. So this relates back to the, the notion that who will own the last mile of delivery? Well, there's always going to be a role for, for delivery, whether it's third party or proprietary. But I think you're increasingly going to see consumers say, I will use my time, my gasoline, my car. I can control for the time. I can control for the temperature. I know what I'm getting and when I'm getting it. Um, and I'll order it digitally, but I'll just pick it up myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, so what about for independents and chains and, and some of the difference is the differences between those, because I think digital, you know, we really saw a lot of the adoption of digital at the chain level, just because they have more resources to be able to invest in some of these more expensive platforms. Some of that's starting to change a lot more startups coming out to serve the independents, but broadly speaking, all of these factors, all of these shifts in, in behaviors how does it? How do we see this playing out in the chains versus the independents? Well, well chains chains have clearly had a huge head start, uh, and they have the advantage of being well funded and having scale and all of those kinds of things. But look, I, I know this. I, I've always said the American consumer is the most powerful economic force on the planet. Um, they get what they want, and if what they want is digital, the marketplace generally finds solutions for that. So I think you will see. Some of the white label kind of applications that uh, serve independents will enable them to play in that space. Uh, and by the way, independents are doing okay right now. Um, you're actually seeing uh, some recovery there uh, from the pandemic. No secret, independents were hard hit during the pandemic. But we're now at a place where if you look year over year, 
We're increasing the unit count uh, at independent restaurants. Uh, independent restaurants are often where uh, culinary innovation happens with the local chef. And so uh, we're seeing some robust things happening there from a, a cuisine and a flavor uh, perspective. If you look at what those restaurants are, are purchasing and, uh, and the consumer clearly values, you know, some of those things that they can get there that really have nothing to do with uh, some of the macro stuff, whether it's, you know, this unique new flavor or the hot new trend uh, or whatever it may be. So, you know, independence, um, you know, will always, it's always been a hard business, right? Uh, yeah. Starting a restaurant has always been difficult. Uh, always will be. But there are some things that uh, in that independent restaurant landscape that are vibrant and, and, and allowing for some growth right now. Uh, and so they may have to lean into some of those other trends besides uh, just some of the big advantages of scale that the chains have. Mm -hmm. I, I mentioned this at the outset of this conversation, but of course, you know, the biggest issues facing the industry today inflation, supply chain, labor. Uh, I'm just curious from your perspective, what are the most significant headwinds and even breaking down into some of those and maybe a little bit further, what do you see as being the most significant headwinds to restaurant operators today? Well, look, I think longer term, the, the aging of the population, some of the built-in generational trends, some of the structural changes to the workforce uh, are all uh, working against the restaurant space. What they're working for, really, is, is a more home-centric consumer. Um, so not to sound too repetitive on that, but it, what it means is that in the food service side of the equation, um, you know, thinking and being thoughtful about what the consumer need is within the four walls of their home is oftentimes an answer to where the growth opportunity lies. Um, I think you know, some of the shorter-term, more transient economic things, like inflation, I tend to believe those things will work themselves out of the system over time. Um, and, and, you know, one thing is true, whether it's a good economy or a bad economy, the consumer still values um, the quality, the experience, the, the, those things that I can get from food service that I can't get uh, necessarily in my own kitchen. So there's always going to be a place. There's always going to be demand. And those that are best at meeting that, consumer where they are uh, will be will be growing. Uh, so they're, you know, even right now in these difficult circumstances, there's no short list of, of restaurant operators who are seeing uh, extraordinary growth. Uh, so again, whether it's a good economy or bad economy, those things kind of smooth themselves out over time. Yeah, to that to that end, flip side, what what are the tailwinds? What what are some of the factors that are really helping restaurants right now? Well, I do think the digital movement that's helping uh, especially as we return to mobility, uh, look, the consumer demand for convenience is is ramping up. Uh, we're simultaneously trying to take all of these home-centric behaviors that we doubled down on, we're trying to hold on to those and go back to the workplace and go back to school and bring in all of the mobility. And there's only so many hours in a day. So uh, the demands of convenience are really ramping up. Uh, again, the ultimate convenience in food is food and beverages is let somebody else do the cooking. Uh, mm. So I think that's a, sort of a natural tailwind. Uh, and then I think the best way to uh, you know create the to predict the future is go out and create it. You know, and so I think you'll see restaurant operators who innovate, who bring something new to the forefront, 
uh, that it that provides those kind of uh, items that the consumer says, wow, I can't make that for myself. I can't get that at home. Uh, and those kind of things will always be there. Uh, so I think those are among some of the things that will continue to drive some growth in the marketplace. Do you think that, I mean, coming out of the last two and a half years that we have, and obviously it's not like all of a sudden all these problems are going to go away. The restaurants will, restaurant operators will continue to face issues. But do you have a sense of sort of broadly how this has changed the attitude of the restaurant? I mean, to me, it just feels like we've, we've, we're going to have this really efficient industry to come emerge from all of this because of how much problem solving restaurant operators have had to do. But what's your sense of how the industry has emerged from solving one challenge after another? Well, right. I mean, if you think about the, we've had to uh, respond to labor issues. So uh, you're seeing more technology, uh, not just in the front of the house with the digital consumer facing piece, but e even in the back of the house. Uh, I think you're seeing people learn to look at all the uh, ways restaurant operators streamlined the menus uh, to help deal with that. So they focused in on an efficiency in that regard and figured out here's how we optimize our offering uh, to consumers. And so, you know, restaurant operators uh, have always found a way to survive. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a vibrant, creative, innovative industry. Um, look at the way we've changed our thoughts on uh, store design. And look at all the formats that are coming out now that are multiple drive-through or, or finding other ways to increase all of that off-premises capacity to serve what is ultimately a more home-centric uh, consumer. So it's, it's exciting. Uh, it's, a, it's a great time in the industry. I think you're going to continue to see all kinds of innovation and um, you know, again, all kinds of uh, operators out there who are finding ways to win in the marketplace. Looking ahead just a little bit, um, obviously the word on everybody's lips recently has been recession. Um, probably impossible for you or I to declare whether or not recession is going to happen or is already happening. Um, lots of debate on that factor. But I, I'm just curious from your standpoint, as you look at the trends in the food service industry, where do they indicate that things are going as far as uh, just sort of that macroeconomic level? Right. Uh, I am not an economist and I will not attempt to play one on TV. So, yeah, we won't uh, we won't address the R word, but it's clear uh, that customer visits are declining on a year over year basis uh, at a time when we would have expected uh, some continued recovery and some continued growth. So, uh, you know, we're still well behind a 2019 level in terms of total uh, customer traffic. Now, uh, dollar spend at restaurants uh, is ahead of pre-pandemic because of inflation and higher prices. Uh, but it, there can be no doubt we're experiencing a little downturn. Now, whether you attach the, the R word to that or not, I don't know. Uh, I can tell you that um, when we look to past uh, economic downturns, you know, quick service restaurants have typically been a little more resilient uh, as a lower price point option. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing uh, the same kind of thing now. Uh, but, you know, look, we think um, there's still uh, some improvement ahead for the restaurant space. Uh, we've got to get through the end of this calendar year where things are going to remain a, a little sluggish. Uh, and then uh, we're optimistic that in 2023, uh, we'll start to see a little bit of a return to improving customer visits. Compare and contrast, if you could, for me, where we stand compared to ahead of the Great Recession. I I, I find it really interesting because, you know, obviously 
there have been plenty of recessions over the years and it's easy to say, okay, well, you know, economic indications suggest that here's what's coming and we know this because of the great recession. But it's also, I mean, we're in a completely different market than we were during the recession. We've talked about all of it, you know, the digital tools, off-premise service and all of that. So from a restaurant operator mindset, how should they look at this time similar to the great recession and how should they look at it a little bit differently? There are some similarities uh, between now and the Great Recession. There are also some differences. And I think you know, the biggest differences are the actual macroeconomic environment. You know, there's plenty to be optimistic about. Um, the unemployment rate, for example, bears no comparison today uh, to what it was uh, back during uh, the Great Recession. Uh, this is just you know, one example. Uh, the, the similarities are we are seeing the same kinds of pressure in terms of families with kids, uh, in terms of overall uh, erosion of customer traffic. You know, one difference is uh, back in the Great Recession in the, in the immediate aftermath, we saw a significant increase in uh, the percentage of restaurant meals that the consumer did report as being bought on deal or at some special price. We're not quite seeing that same thing now, and that may be because the consumer, again, doesn't really perceive uh, the depth of deal uh, right now. It may also be in part because many of the consumers who would be most attractive to those deals are the very ones who are pulling back their visit frequency uh, altogether. Uh, so that's one of the areas where, where things are quite different. We're not seeing quite the same response to, to deal. And again, you know, the inflation uh, situation is another big difference. Um, you know, that's really, I think, one of the key things that stands out right now. You know, I, I do think that uh, I'm hopeful that that's really more one of these transitory things. Uh, as I travel the country and talk to a lot of people and visit with a lot of restaurant operators, uh, as well as food, food manufacturers, you know, I am generally hearing that supply chains are becoming healthier that inventories are becoming stronger. Um, you know, those are a couple of the important ingredients that would start to level out uh, some of the inflation. Uh, so, you know, again, I'm optimistic that this won't be a, a more permanent feature of uh, the environment and that we'll get past it and, and things will start to get a little bit better. Yeah, you mentioned 2023. Just broadly speaking, what do we expect from 2023? Do you think that we'll ever get to that Roaring 20s, everybody wanted to talk about back in 2020. I mean, do we do we see a point ever where we can get to economic growth? The challenges are behind us. Does 2023 perhaps hold that promise? Well, you know, I, I, again, I, I like to look at the longer term uh, view of things. We, you know, we've been studying uh, this industry for more than 30 years. Um, and if you go back to the five years pre-pandemic, total customer traffic in the restaurant space over that five years was flat. Um, now, why? Why was that? We, we were in a structurally flat macro environment because of you know, some big, slow-moving trends like the aging population, like the structural shifts in the workforce that have nothing to do with either being in a pandemic or being in a recession. And so what has happened is We've been so focused over the past months and, and couple of years on the news headlines of the day, the economic headlines, the pandemic headlines, that we've, we've tended to forget that there are this, still these big uh, macro shifts happening beneath the surface, and those are still with us. So 
while I'm, I am optimistic that things are going to improve, uh, I don't think anybody should expect that we're going back to uh, the heyday of the 90s in the restaurant space where customer traffic grows three to 5% every single year. Um, we just don't have the underlying um, macro population trends uh, that would support that. Comparing uh, today to the 90s as well, I'm curious to get what you think about, I mean, back in the 90s, your decision was a lot easier. There were a lot fewer restaurants. I mean, what do you think of the competitive set for restaurants today? How much does that also affect each individual restaurant performance when, I mean, not only do you have restaurants to choose from, but going, going back to the earlier part of our conversation, you could go eat at a grocery store. You could order from a virtual brand does the com competition of things change that sort of individual outlook for each restaurant? Well, I think, look, I think in the, in the macro sense, the, the demand, it, it is what it is, right? You know, there's only so many people in the country. We're going to eat uh, every single day. Some of those meals are going to be prepared from our pantry or refrigerator or freezer. And some of those meals or snacks or beverages are going to be sourced uh, from food service. So I don't think that, the changing structure of the industry really affects things from the demand curve uh, quite that much. But it, what it clearly does is it directs where the growth in the restaurant landscape is. And I, I do think it is a much more vibrant and diverse uh, landscape. In general, uh, we're trending more towards uh, quick service and off-premises types of formats. Um, that doesn't mean that you won't find all kinds of full service operators who are creating that differentiated customer experience who are also growing, uh, but that's just a sort of at a, at a high level in general. Uh, but yeah, the landscape is much more diverse. We have convenience retailers, some of whom are doing uh, phenomenal uh, food service. Um, you have other sectors of retail. You have this whole realm of the experiential where consumers are buying meals at uh, movie theaters, at ballparks at other entertainment venues. Um, and we see all kinds of examples of growth in all of those places. So uh, we, we spoke a moment ago about independent restaurants. Uh, the, again, the unit count of independent restaurants is up year over year as people are coming back into that space and uh, finding opportunities of consumer need that they can fill. Um, all kinds of um, great new culinary innovation that is in that independent and micro chain restaurant. When we say micro chain, that's uh, somebody that's three to 19 units. That's where the next hot, fast, casual concept is probably emerging from. Um, so it is a diverse and vibrant landscape uh, filled with opportunity. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. All right, David, last question. It's kind of a big one, but I'm just thinking from everything that we've been talking about here, learning about the economic conditions, where the restaurant industry stands, what the consumer behavior is telling us about all of this. If I'm a restaurant operator, either independent operator, franchise operator, or, or whatever, but I'm in the restaurant industry, I, I'm running a restaurant. How should I respond to this? What should my actions be in the short term to respond to this economic reality? Well, you know, there are a couple of things, but, you know, I like to remind people all the time that the things that made a restaurant operator successful uh, 10 years ago are probably a lot of the same things that make a restaurant operator uh, successful today. You know, we, we call it the food service industry. And so the experience that you can give to that consumer, you know, whether that's through the digital engagement, whether that's through 
uh, how fast you can operate a drive-through window or whether that's through wowing them with some great table side, uh, you know, experience of some kind, uh, you know, your ability to create that difference with the consumer uh, ultimately is what allows you to win in the marketplace. So I, I would say, you know, know your consumer, uh, understand what their needs are, uh, find out how you can execute against those needs better than anybody else. Uh, and invariably, those are the people who are experiencing tremendous growth in good times and in bad. That's good stuff. David Portlatton of the MPD Group, thanks for joining today. Thank you all. My pleasure. That was my interview with the NPD Group's Senior Vice President and Food Industry Advisor, David Portolatin. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my seven takeaways. My first takeaway is that grocery has the upper hand on affordability. Restaurants must win on craveability. There's been some talk lately as uh, as folks have looked at the data and they've looked at the fact that grocery prices are actually rising faster than restaurant prices. And a lot of folks have made this conclusion that that's going to make customers go to restaurants more than supermarkets. But David counters that point. He said that's not necessarily true because restaurants were already more expensive than supermarkets. So even if they're increasing in price at different rates, grocery is still technically a more affordable option. But restaurants still win on craveability. They still provide something to customers that they can't make themselves at home. And that's what restaurant operators must focus on. You must differentiate yourselves on what con- consumers cannot accomplish in their home. Uh, you know, Grocery is also getting more competitive because it's got fresh food service. It's providing more of these meal components, as David said. As people stay at home more often, which we'll talk about in a little bit more and a, a little bit from now, you know, grocery is going to keep winning on on those fronts. So restaurants must focus on what they can win on, and that's craveability. My second takeaway is that with prices rising, value is not what it used to be. David talked about the fact that prices were rising even before inflation. So when you think about value, when you think about discounting. Think about the last recession and how much value became critical throughout that recession, uh, you know, over 10 years ago. Prices weren't the same back then. And so value, a value price point of you know, $4, $3 or $4, that really resonated with customers. These days, though, you can't discount that far anymore. Prices have gone up, and so value is a higher price point than it used to be. So if you're discounting your food from a high price point to another price point that is still higher than it used to be, customers don't see that as value. They don't think of it much as discounting. And because of that, we're not seeing a lot of value efforts or campaigns from restaurants broadly because it just isn't what it used to be. That leads into my third takeaway, and that is that experience can be a part of your value equation. If you can't discount to create value, you have to create value somewhere else. And for restaurants, a lot of that is in the experience you're providing. That might be a culinary experience, having a full-service restaurant where there's a a really food-forward, fancy, high-quality experience that you're getting, of course, in a full-service environment. 
That could be entertainment, could be going and playing pickleball while you're getting your meal, or some other experience that you're creating for your guest. They see that as part of the value and a, an experience they can't get in their own home. That will draw them more so than discounted food will. How can you create a, this differentiator that will really help you win in the marketplace? That's what you need to focus on. My fourth takeaway is that there is opportunity in providing for the customer within their own home. All right, so like I talked about before, uh, customers are more home-centric. David talked at length about the fact that this was already happening pre-pandemic, and it's especially happened, of course, during the pandemic. But the truth of the matter is that consumers have more things to do at home. They have Netflix. They have other things to pay attention to. And they have everything available at their fingertips through their phone in their home. You have to solve for their needs at home and you have to get their attention to do that. If you can accomplish those two things, then you will get you will get that customer to come order from your restaurant. But don't think of it so much as I need to get them in the restaurant. Think of it more as how do I solve for their need in their home and how are they going to choose me to be that solution? Think about that more and more as customers stay within the, the four walls of their home more going forward. My fifth takeaway is that an aging population is bad news for the restaurant industry. David said that 17 million more Americans are going to be in their 60s here pretty soon. And just quite frankly, this country is getting older. And the data shows that the more the older you get as you get into your 50s and 60s, the less you tend to spend on restaurants. Younger consumers are the ones that tend to eat out more. As you go in through your 20s, 30s, and 40s, that's when you're um, increasing your visits to restaurants. Um, and, and that's why you see so much attention paid on millennials, Gen Z, and even younger. So if the population is getting older, that means that more people are going to start spending less on restaurants. But even worse is the fact that inflation is having a bigger effect on younger consumers. And David also pointed out something interesting I hadn't even really thought before. Younger consumers, that more of their wallet is going to things that didn't even exist 20, 30 years ago, like their data plan or Netflix or, or whatever that might be. So younger consumers have more pressures facing them from all around and from things that didn't even exist several years ago. And with inflation hitting them hard as well, all of these make for not a great uh, environment for restaurants that are trying to get the attention of customers. But my sixth takeaway is that the good news is that demand for convenience continues to skyrocket. So yes, people are getting squeezed by inflation. They're in their home more than ever. But restaurants, not only can they win on craveability, they can also win on convenience. So as we get back to our normal lives post-pandemic, we're busy again, we have more things going on, increasingly we might want to turn to that restaurant to, to have a convenient meal, to have a break from making food at home. Restaurants are more and more appealing in that regard, and digital is making it more uh, easier than ever to be able to have that con convenient option. So another thing that restaurants should focus on and be optimistic about. My seventh and final takeaway is that it is going to get worse before it gets better. 
David is optimistic. I like talking to David because he does seem so optimistic about things. But, you know, he pointed out we're, we're still going to have a sluggish economy going into 2023. Customer traffic is down. It, it's down over 20 or it's a down over 2019 and was trending downward before that even too, because of all the factors that we've been talking about, some of these macro trends like an aging population and a home-centric customer. Those things were happening already before the pandemic. And you couple that with the economy going into 2023, and it's just tough out there. There's no getting around that fact. But David anticipates things improving in 2023. He doesn't think it's going to be the same kind of success we used to have where you see big gains in traffic every year. But he does think that that we'll economically improve in 2023 and that conditions for restaurants should continue to improve. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and to leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.okus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.